Okay, so we're doing Acts, and I'm going to sneak back into Acts 9 because there's just some little cameo bits in there that I don't want us to miss as we go through Acts. So um, I've entitled this First Responders, but don't get too carried away with that title. It's just that these are people I want to talk about who were the first in to do some amazing stuff. They're only mentioned for a little bit of the Bible, but they are really, really important, and there's a few things that we can learn from them. And you know, I don't know about you, but I watch a few reality TV shows, like the one about ambulance work, where they're around uh, the traps in England, picking up this person and that person and giving life-saving care, or those people who are in uh, search and rescue, down the cliffs and all those kind of things. And so um, I sort of think that this is first responders are a really uh, specific kind of call. They're a call to be absolutely alert. You know, if you're on your job as a first responder um, and the, the call comes in, you don't finish your row if you're knitting. You know, you don't finish your exercise time on the exercycle. You go right then, right there. And so if you were to look at the place that the people came from when they were waiting, it might look like a mess because they've had to get up and go. But, you know, there's things we can learn about this too. Um, okay, so we're going to start with reading in Acts chapter 9. So I have to get my school teacher glasses on. Put that there because the chances are I could tip it over. Right, Acts chapter 9. So we're going to start about verse 7. And Paul has had this amazing experience, and this is what John Stephanus talked to us about. And we're going to pick it up from verse 7. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound. They didn't see anyone. Saul saw, remember, remember he saw a huge light. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind and didn't eat or drink anything. Eat or drink. Now that's extreme. He was in an extreme place. In Damascus, there was a disciple called Ananias, and the Lord called him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, yes, Lord. But actually, when you read a lot of translations, he said, here am I, Lord. Think of all the people in the past, in the Old Testament, who said that to the Lord. That's not just yes, that's I'm waiting right here for what you have got for me to do. The Lord said to him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask the man from Tarsus, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. And in a vision he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Oh, Lord, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your people in Israel, and he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, 
This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it and placed his hand, placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, I've got to stop there. How did he get that information? Has sent me so you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up, was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. And Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem amongst those who call on this name? And hasn't he been here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Port Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Let's pray. Lord, wow, your word is powerful. Your word tells us stories that can just open up things in us so that you can do work in us personally. I thank you that your word is like a sword and it just penetrates to do a, a, a surgical and a healing work in us. And I pray this morning, Lord, that this will be uh, a time when we can really connect with your word and what it says to us, that we may walk out of here stronger, more committed, more in love with you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, well, here we go first. Ananias. Not known publicly. Paul talked about him later as a man who was devout. And when we think of devout, think of the word devoted and think of the phrase God-fearer. So we've just come out of our speaking to us about fearing the Lord. And that's how the Apostle Paul described Ananias. He was a man who feared the Lord. Okay, so I want to also now turn to John chapter 15, verse 10. Ananias had this really interesting ability to chat to the Lord. So I want us to go to John 15 to see why this is. John 15, verse 10. As the Lord has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has this, greater love has no one than this who lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. Well, that's lovely. Shall we stop there? 
you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I've learnt from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Okay. What's a friend of God? Are you a friend of God? Friend of God. Obey. Now, obedience gets a really bad rap in the modern world, doesn't it? You know, we are taught that you should question. You should negotiate. Push them back as hard as you can to get what you want. All these kind of things. But this is not the biblical way. We live counterculture. We do not live like our culture lives. If we see in our culture, we see rebellion. That's the opposite of obedience. And how is it doing in our culture? I'm looking at the photos of Paris, a light, and not with God's revival, a light with riots because people are refusing to walk God's way. And so they get tied up in all kinds of things that disobedience to God brings. God says to us, you can be a friend of mine. Now, Ananias was a friend. And so as a friend, he could talk to the Lord. And when the Lord said to him, Ananias, and he's really waiting because he connects with the Lord. He says, oh, hang on, can you pop that back a few times? It's the wrong picture completely. Um, back again. Yeah. So Ananias can say, hey, Lord, I've heard this, da-da-da-da. Now, I don't read that he said, I'm not keen on going. I just wonder if he was thinking, how many sets of clothes shall I wear in case I need to go to prison? He knew about the Apostle Paul. About, well, he wasn't the Apostle Paul then. He knew about this man. This man was really dangerous, and the Lord's saying, go and see him. So therefore, in my natural reasoning, that says prison. I don't think he was saying, I'm not going. I think he was just wanting to know a bit more about this assignment, which sounded pretty dangerous. What a man. He's a man who says, here am I, and then he's able to talk to the Lord to get some more information that would tell him that it's not actually like his natural reasoning was saying. It's just far different, more than he could possibly imagine. But God was able to share his plans with this man because he was an obedient servant of the Lord who never thought of not obeying. Ananias was coming. He didn't say, I'm going to send a man. I'll find someone, a real good chap, and I'll send him to you. Scrabbling around at the moment. No, he said no. No, he knew the servant of God that he had in Damascus who would say absolutely yes. Now, what was it you're saying, Lord? Wow. But he said, absolutely yes, first. And you know, this is the call that we have, to be 
the servants and, here we go, friends of God to whom we can say absolutely yes. Now, what is it, Lord, exactly? And that was Ananias. He was a friend of God. Now, Ananias, I want you to just bear with me a minute and think about what it might have been like if he hadn't actually thought that he could manage this assignment. Wow, Lord, that's a bit too dangerous. Um, Can you pass me on this one? Rain check. So then, who would have been the person who raised Paul up from extreme agony into this kingdom of God? Who was the person who would have spoken words of life to him, baptised him, brought him into fellowship with other believers? Who would that person have been if it hadn't been Ananias? But you see, God never gets it wrong because he knew this man was reliable. And you know, this is something that God calls us to. Obedience is a very beautiful thing. I know we've talked about this in our house group. It's, it gets a hard, hard rap, but let's just change our mindset and have a kingdom mindset. Obedience is the most awesome thing. You want to just check the Bible for what happens when you obey. Okay, so I'm just going to do one verse. So I'm going to Joshua chapter 1. And, you know, this is the first time Joshua is stepping into leadership And the Lord's giving him some tips. So if you're turning, Joshua, but don't worry if you don't, you can listen. Here's what the Lord says. Be strong and courageous. Well, you'd expect that. Because you're going to lead these people to inherit the land. I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be very strong. Be strong and very courageous. Here we go. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left because I'm mean. Oh, no, 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 you've got it wrong. That's the way we go. That you might be successful in all you do, wherever you go. Keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be miserable. No, you'll be prosperous and successful. Now, I just wrote down on a a slide that's going to come up some of the things that are the result of being obedient to God. You get success, prosperity, joy, peace, contentment, honour, victory against your enemies, long life, increase, safety. Oh, that's just a few guys. I haven't been. You're going to be the head and not the tail. You everything, everything you do will prosper. Everywhere you go, he will be working for you. I mean, I've got to say, I've got a picture of a power tool up there because my husband and I have been looking at them. Now, we've been looking at, at, at power tools because we've got a bit of reno to do, and this particular one sort of appeals to me. It's called a multi-tool. It does so many things, why would you need anything else? And honestly, we need this kind of tool. And really, I think obedience is like God's multi-tool. I mean, how do you get all these things? If you were to put it in advertisement, imagine. You know, imagine you've got an advertisement online, you know, um, 
Do you want success? Do you want guaranteed contentment and peace? Do you want victory in every area of your life? Do you want a long life? Do you, then I've got the answer. Pay $300 and I will send you the book. But wait, there's more. It's in the Bible. You just need to take hold of the word of God and what it says. You know, why don't we get this? It's our mindset. This is the problem. We just get the world's mindset on obedience, and we just have to have that wee rebellion. But what does it do? There's this uh, law, spiritual law, that runs through the whole Bible, and it's sowing and reaping. You get what you sow. You reap what you sow. So if you reap obedience, if you sow obedience, you will reap da 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 da. And if you sow disobedience, you reap the opposite. Well, oh my goodness, why don't we get this into our heads? Now I want to turn you to one more thing, a place about obedience, and it is Luke chapter six. Yes, I can read it and you don't have to turn to it. Or haven't you even got your Bibles? <laughs> I'm just saying that because I remember um, Bianca at the, uh, when we went to the revival school and she said that she taught her church every time the word of God was mentioned and they were going to read something to all go, yay! And why is that? Because it's so living and powerful and we need to be reading it to check that what we're believing actually isn't here. You know, we have to line it up because the things of the world want to taint us. They want to pull us and tweak us so that we don't have this pure, full faith in the Lord. Okay, so here we go. We're going to Luke chapter 6 and we're going to verse 46. I love it. Thank you. And that's a cup of coffee for you at the end. I didn't say what kind of coffee. Okay, so this is it. Why? This is actually quite a hard bit, but it's also a good bit after that. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do what I say? For everyone who comes to me and hears my word and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. Okay, so what he's saying is you've got the words and you haven't got the actions. How many people have got the word Lord and they call him Lord Jesus, but actually he's not. He's Jesus down the rails from the top thing in their lives. And it's so easy to happen. It doesn't happen in one sudden bang. It happens incrementally with tiny decisions that we make that are not the best that God called us to until, you know, the story about the frog who was in a, he jumped into a kettle by mistake and he lived a, quite a long time as the kettle water heated up because it changed ever such small amounts at a time until it was just too hot and he died. But he didn't notice because it happened so incrementally in such tiny stages. And I think the Lord says this to us as a warning. Be very careful. 
very careful in this world. So this is now what he says. He tells us a story, and he says, everyone who comes to me is like, they are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when a flood came, the torrent struck the house but couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my word and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. And what comes out of this is what is the foundation spoken about here? I mean, many times Jesus is spoken about as a foundation, but in this case, if you just read around it, you find the foundation is obedience. Obedience is a foundation, a strong foundation. Obeying the Lord's word is a strong foundation for us to walk with the Lord. We will not be got by the trials of life if we're walking in obedience with the Lord like Ananias was. Where we're saying, yes, Lord, and what is it that I'm saying yes to? You know, this is just such an awesome thing, obedience. This is a jewel. You know, this is a jewel in a case that you can have. It's so sparkly and so beautiful, and if you have it, you won't need to have other stuff. This supersedes everything else, obedience to Jesus. This is the fear of the Lord. You know, the fear of the Lord leads you to walk carefully. The fear of the Lord knows that when you say, Lord, words are cheap, but actions are where it's really at. So the fear, you know, in Isaiah it says, who is the man who fears the Lord? Who is the man who obeys his commands? And if you know about the way many biblical poems work, they have two parts to them that are almost the same in understanding. (laughs) It happens all the way through Psalms. You'll find that there's one bit of a verse and then it comes again in a slightly different way underneath it. (coughs) And this is it here. Isaiah is saying, who is the man who fears the Lord? Oh, I'm going to say it another way. Who is the man who obeys his commands? It's the same meaning. Wow, so this man, who's a friend of God, shows us so much about how we approach God. We don't have to say, yes, God, and not ask for some more information, but it's all about our attitude. You know, God did not say, you silly man, for asking me more, you should have just done this. Not at all, because he's got a friend relationship with Ananias. And so he's going, yeah, son, what's that? Oh, I do know about that. You're funny that, because I'm sort of all-powerful. I do know these things. Um, And that's okay, because I just want to tell you my plan. What do you think of this plan? This man is going to be my instrument to bring thousands and thousands and millions of people to me. What do you think of that plan, Ananias? And Ananias is going, how quickly can I go? Quick, I've got to get there. This is the most exciting thing I've ever done in my life. 
I've got to see that this man gets into the destiny that my God has called him to. And off he goes with confidence because he believes with faith what God has said over what people are muttering and what is actually the rational truth in his society right then. It's very true for him to believe this is a dangerous man. And God said, yep, and he's going to be dangerous in my kingdom too. Yay, isn't that good? Okay, so we're going to go on to the next one. We're going to just look at Barnabas. So we've looked at a man and how he dealt with his relationship with God. Absolute obedience. You know, obedience actually is... Not such a scary thing if you know who you're obeying. That's the key, isn't it? You know, the whole thing is if you don't agree with the person you're obeying or you're not sure of their stuff, that's really a risk. But do we really have a risk factor when we're obeying God? Because this is God Almighty who loves us as a father like we've sung about this morning, who wants to call us as his family, into intimacy with him, who's got our best at heart every day of our lives, well, why wouldn't you want to obey him? I mean, that's the question, really. Why wouldn't you? Okay, so the devil. Yeah, okay, I get it. There's the devil and the devil. Because that is what stops us from obeying God, the devil and our own weakness, but we can deal to it. And how do we deal to it? by keeping submitting to our precious Lord, by bowing down and by keeping our eyes fixed on him. And then the other things sort of drop off. But we've got to do that. This is not about a religious duty. If we try to have obedience as a religious duty, it will be dead work. You know, religious duties, ugh, obligation. Must do it, should do it, have to do it, ugh. Whereas obedience to our beautiful Jesus is, want to do it, show me how. It's so different. So if you've got into a place where you have got tripped up by religion, get out of it. It's not a place to be in. It does not have rewards. It has... So we really have to get out of that place and into the place of freedom to obey. That's what we've got freedom to do. We have freedom to obey. Wow, because we're crucified with Christ, so I live. But nevertheless, not I, but Christ lives in me. Okay, so we're going second one. And actually, this guy has the same kind of attitude to the Lord as Ananias. But we're going to just look at, at how he treated people. Because, you know, we have the relationship with God and then we have our relationship with others. And the Lord wants them to match up. So if we have an oh, hallelujah relationship here and then we have a speaking wrong, speaking negative here, that doesn't match up and it's not the way the Lord wants us to be. So when we look at Barnabas... Why is he called Barnabas in the first place? Because actually his name was Joseph. And really Joseph's easier to say than Barnabas. Joseph, Barnabas. But this was his nickname. 
This is what he was called because I guess there was a lot of, a lot of Josephs around. And what do you remember this guy for? He was the son of encouragement. Now we look at him first in Acts 4. And in Acts 4, we see the first thing we see about this man tells you something about his character. He's giving. He's giving sacrificially. He's, got, he's sold a field or a property and laid it at the apostles' feet so that the work of God can go on unhindered. So this is what you see, a man who gives. Honestly, I tell you, a mean person, it is hard to see where they go because meanness will stop them. But when you give to the Lord, the Lord is never a debtor. He gives back. Double portion. We, you know, this is something we know when we follow the Lord. He will give it back to you. But give it in faith. It's the sowing and the reaping thing. You sow into his kingdom financially and every other way in your life, and you will reap that. This is something that never falters. It's never not true. It's a, it's a spiritual law. Okay, so we're looking at Barnabas, and we're going to go back to Acts 9. So we're going to look at verse 26. This is about Saul now preaching the word with power. And when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he really was a disciple. Well, I mean, fair enough. <laughs> I mean, they might have had sons or uncles who went to prison because of this man. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of the Lord. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Okay, now we're just going to turn over quickly to Acts 11 because we're looking just a wee bit at Barnabas. Now, those who'd been scattered by, that's verse 19, those who'd been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as these different places, including Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them good news, the good news about Jesus Christ the Lord's hand was on them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And many, many camels going to Jerusalem told the apostles in Jerusalem about this. It didn't go down the telephone wires in those days. But they heard. They're very happy. But this is a time of great transition in the church. This is a time where they've had a Jews-only policy and uh, Al read about Cornelius last week. There's very uh, several things that brought the Lord's word on the Gentiles. He wanted to save them as well. So when they heard this, that there's Gentiles being saved, well, they weren't going to send somebody who was going to mess up that with any kind of bigotry. They are looking around for someone who was a very positive person, who was not tied up in the things of the past in the church, but was prepared to go into a new phase of the church and encourage in that kind of area. And who did they choose? 
Well, of course, they chose the son of encouragement. You know what he'd done in the past, he would be like that in the future. You know our character, how it's built through our lives is so important. It just comes out time and again. This man couldn't stop his character coming out. He was a giver. He was a person who saw the positive before anybody else. When everybody else is negative, 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 he was speaking positive. He was looking for positive. He saw it before other people. Isn't that amazing? And this is the kind of people that God is choosing for us to be. He chooses you to be a daughter, a son of encouragement, to close your mouth to the things that you want to say that are probably true, but they don't need to be said, and to open your mouth to the things that will build up people in the church. Oh, my goodness. This guy could have said some things, but no, they knew. The leaders in uh, Jerusalem knew this man back to front. He was a faithful servant of God who was an encourager, and that was who they sent. And it says down there, when he arrived and saw the great, what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man. He's the only one in the New Testament called good. Oh, wow. So, man, he stood out. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So here we have, we have Ananias, who's a man who we want to look at how he dealt with God and how he walked with God. And now we have a man, Barnabas, and we want to look at how he treated other people, the incredible way that he was able to get past bigotry and he was able to get past the negatives to speak life. And this is a call of God to us to be life speakers everywhere we go. So the third thing is just a tiny bit to, to add. You know, both of these guys, the reason God would use them was because they were available now, actually, you might think, duh, but don't go like that because there are some people with amazing potential who God can't use. And why can't he use them? Because they are too tied up in other things, that they have got too much in their lives and so they can't be used by God because they haven't got any time left. They haven't got any energy left. You know, when Paul's speaking to Timothy, uh, he says this. Now, I've just got to find it because, I, you know, I never stick to my notes. And uh, I've got to find this Timothy verse. Yeah, here we go. He talks to Timothy about being a soldier. And he says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. Now, it's not involved. It's entangled. There's a difference doesn't say we shouldn't be involved, but it says we shouldn't be entangled, which means a throat hold. But rather tries to please his commanding officer. That's obedience first to the commanding officer. You know, we don't want to be people who have potential, but it's never realised because we've got so many fingers in the world's pies that we haven't got any fingers left for God's pies. 
We want to be people who are so committed to God that first of all we've said yes to him and then we've said yes to encouraging the people and thirdly we're saying, and I'm right here waiting for you to send me where you want me. So I'm going to finish by reading the lyrics of a song called Spirit Lead Me. This is my worship. This is my offering. In every moment I withhold nothing. Make this your prayer. I'm learning to trust you where I can't see yet. Even in suffering, I have to believe it. If you say it's wrong, then I'll say no. If you say release, I'm letting go. If you're in with me, I'll begin. And when you say jump, I'm diving in. If you say be still, then I will wait. If you say to trust, I will obey. Teach me to follow in your way. I'm done with chasing feelings. Spirit. God, our God, you are so amazing in the way you draw us to yourself. And Lord, in your compassion and your amazingness, you want to pour out your goodness and you say there's only just one thing. Obey me. Obey me first. God, this morning, we want to say to you, we choose that way. Actually, we want that way because we want to put aside the things that don't bring the rewards, that distract us, that destroy us. And we see, God, mighty God, that you have only our best at heart and we can only want to choose you because you are our God every day of our lives. So we choose you. God, we choose you again. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Amen.